0: I want to invite Wills now to come and join us as well, Um, another member of the family, and she's going to read our passage. So if you have a Bible, maybe you would like to turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read our story tonight. It's an encounter that uh, a man has with Jesus. So you are going to read Mark 5, verses 1 to 20.
1: They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out into out of the area a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside the demons begged jesus send us among the pigs allow us to go into them he gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs the herd about two thousand in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed.
0: Uh, What an amazing story. I wonder if you were to ask the people of Caterham around here or maybe where you live, who would you most like to see move away from your area? I wonder who you're thinking they'd say. I mean, if you could think of the worst neighbour perhaps you could possibly have, you know, what would they be like? I live up here on the Cape from on the hill, and we live quite near to a few pubs, actually. And over the last few months, it's been amazingly quiet. They've all been closed. There haven't been people coming and going from, from the pubs. But just this last week, the, the pub very closest to us opened its doors again. and As you can imagine, in the nice sunshine, there's been a very busy place and there's been people coming and going quite often. And it gets particularly noisy at about 11 o'clock at night as the doors close and they all head off home. And our bedroom backs onto the the street outside and the windows are open when it's hot. And we hear all sorts of people laughing and talking at the top of their voices, walking right past our our bedroom window. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing perhaps some of those folk perhaps not living so close to me around here. don't know about you who you'd most like to see perhaps move away I think myself I've almost been a bad neighbor at times too when we first moved into our home actually we were doing a bit of DIY in our place here and I would work during the day um, in the office and then afterwards any spare moment I had I would come down to the to the house in the evening and I'd be chipping away at the plaster I'd be banging out an old chimney breast or, or doing all sorts of work around the home and I didn't realise how late it got sometimes until my neighbour in, in our semi-detached house would come around and knock on our door at about 11 o'clock at night themselves and tell me to be quiet. It was again too late. And I had no idea how late it was. I was quite embarrassed several times seeing how much of a disturbance I was making in the town, or at least to my neighbours. So I wonder who you'd like to leave from your area. They can bother us a bit and maybe we wouldn't like them to, to live near us. People have always been the same. There's often people that we don't want to be near us. And in our Bible passage tonight, the people of the Gerasenes, this town where it was set, they have a choice about who they would like to leave from from their area. One is a man that they're terrified of, a man who's lived in a graveyard. He indecently exposes himself to others. He shouts at people for no reason. He self-harms. He vandalizes public property. He's got this legacy of terrorizing the neighborhood. And then there's another man who comes, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a man who has incredible power and authority, but also great compassion and love for those who many find unlovable. Now, who would you expect them to choose to leave their neighborhood at the end of the story, the demoniac or the deity? Well, we'll see later on who they would rather leave. I see that there's two parts to my talk tonight, Looking at the story together firstly we 're going to look at the destructive power of demons, the destructive power of demons, and then we 'll look at the delivering power of deity. now two titles I got them from John MacArthur. I like the alliteration and, and I hope they 're going to contrast for us a reality that that still exists for us today, the spiritual dimension of this world that we live in. you see we, we very rarely talk about demons or the forces of darkness and we've just heard a story from Karim about the reality in his life and all through scripture there are mentions of the work the work of Satan and demons like in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 it tells us that demons were once angels who have sinned and have now been put in chains of darkness until judgment day it says and yet they are still very active in all sorts of destruction in the world. There's a famous quote from a film that came out some time ago called The Usual Suspects. And the quote says that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And I think there's some truth in that. It's an attitude that has maybe even crept into the church so that many ignore or maybe don't even believe that there are evil spiritual forces at work in the world. But the people in our story, the, the people of the Gerasenes, they know full well the destructive power of impure spirits. So verses three, four, and five of our passage, they describe the effect that these demons had on the man. He lived in the tombs, it says, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been, been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. It's a disturbing picture, isn't it? One of destruction, despair, defiance. It's demoralizing. Matthew and Luke also record the same story, and and they add a bit more detail. There wasn't just one man there, there was others. At least one other man who was with them, There are often guards who are sent down to to watch over them so they wouldn't come back to the town to destroy it. This is a snapshot of the destructive power of demons. All their efforts, the demons' efforts, they seem to be focused on opposing and destroying every work of God. They dehumanize these men. They strip them of all their dignity. The community is in tatters often. Their respect is gone. Their character is broken. Scripture tells us about the devil. It says that he is the father of lies. It says that he was a murderer from the beginning. He deceives, he accuses. His sole focus, it seems, is to cause people to turn away from God, from his goodness, from his grace, and to destroy themselves and all that is wholesome, their communities, relationships, one another. And today the same reality is true. They blind people. To the gospel. They keep us in bondage to things that hinder us from coming to God. Wayne Grudem, he helpfully lists some of their tactics and he suggests that the forces of darkness still use things like temptation, doubt, guilt, fear, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, slander, anything possible to oppose God's good work. These are powerful beings. And it seems that people, you and I, in our limited capacity, they're not able to overcome such evil in their own strength. The iron chains that imprisoned this man to keep him from destroying the town, they were useless. He tore through them. Nothing and no one was strong enough to bind him, to keep him. He is full of wickedness and evil and the demonic. And there's no good in this picture, and I hope you can see that. And it's not just individuals though that are affected. It's not just this man or the two of them. The whole of society around them, and even today, it influences everywhere and everything. I just finished a book last week. Actually, it was in quite good time. It's called "That Hideous Strength: How the West Was Lost." It's by a guy called Melvin Tinker, and it's by Based on a book by the same name, by C.S. Lewis, called That Hideous Strength. It's part of his Space Trilogy. It's a fascinating read. And C.S. Lewis and his book, as so often, he is so insightful as to what's going on in the world. And he talks about the hideous strength. It's a book of fiction, the Lewis's story. But it describes a reality that I think we're living in even today, that there is a hideous strength in the world. It's an allegory of the sort of world we find ourselves living in where there are movements, there are philosophies, there are forces of evil that, that are dismantling things that are good, destroying and deceiving wherever they go. A good example, I think, is the ideology that drives an organisation even like Black Lives Matter. Now, that's a phrase that everyone can agree with, and we all want to see an end to racism. But behind that catchy phrase is an actual organisation with a philosophy that has nothing to do with defeating racism. But it instead, if you look at their manifesto, they want to destroy families. They want to promote sexual deviancy. Their aim is to destroy the economic systems that have brought more people out of poverty than at any other time in history. It's an organisation that wants to remove all standards of morality that's based on orthodox Christian teaching. Their aim, it says, is freedom from oppression. It sounds noble, but in fact, they are the ones using oppression to destroy the very fabric of society. It's called cultural Marxism. And it's a cancer, I think, that has infected nearly every part of our culture. It's a terrifying philosophy when you look into it. But it has captured the minds and imaginations of many, many people, many of whom hold great power and influence in the world. People who are in the media, in universities, in politics, in our legal systems. It is a hideous strength. It is evil, and I could even go as far as to say it is demonic. When I think about the destructive power of demons and you see their influence over people and communities, at times, well, I'm tempted to despair. know, when I see the trajectory that this world is going in, I think, well, what can we do Maybe there are political changes that might help. You know, the, rel- the right election result, perhaps, or-, or maybe better education for people. A new reformation, even. Or even my own dismantling of laws that I think are ungodly. But sometimes I think I lose hope. You know, the world seems lost. The cancer is too deep. The rot has gone too far. And like the people of the Gerasenes in our story, I push these ideas out of the neighbourhood, into the graveyards, out of sight and out of mind. But then I remember the spiritual reality and that the book of Revelation is really helpful in pulling back the curtain as it were on, on the covers of the material world. And it gives us a glimpse of forces at work that are unseen. It reminds us that we are truly in a spiritual battle Now, the material is not all there is. There is a hideous strength in the world that has great power. It's doing enormous damage and like the man in our story, that the attempts to restrain or restrict the evil often seem fruitless at all. It seems hopeless. That is until Jesus steps out of the boat. And this is the great part of the story. In verse two, it says that when Jesus steps out of the boat, the man with the impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. It's like he's drawn to Jesus. See, so he's been driven away from everybody else. But when Jesus steps on the shore, there's this pull that that he can't ignore. And then in verse 6, he starts running towards Jesus. This crazy man storms out of his cave. Try to picture him. He's got wild hair. He's got bloody wrists. His face just etched with fury and anger. He's, He's naked. His arms are flailing through the air. Maybe he's screaming and shouting at the top of his lungs. The disciples, you can imagine them just behind Jesus and they sort of edge slowly back towards the boat, hoping to make a quick escape. But as this wretched and violent creature who's overpowered anybody who's ever come near him, as he approaches, what does he do? But well, he falls to his knees in front of Jesus. What do you mean, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. His name is Legion which in the Roman army was a group of 6,000 men. See, this powerful, destructive force is brought to its knees before the very presence of God. And this wicked and evil power, which has had its way for so long, is suddenly begging Jesus for mercy. And after a brief conversation, the spirits, the evil spirits, are sent into a herd of pigs. And what do the demons do to them? Well, they destroy them, of course. That's what they do. They destroy any part of God's creation and they drown them in the lake. The destructive power of demons is on full show. But what is it that brings them to an end? It's the delivering power of deity. The delivering power of deity. We may feel helpless at the forces of evil in the world. The darkness is very real and also very powerful. It can seem at times like... The kingdom of God is is being attacked from all sides. It often seems like the darkness is winning. Persecution increases. The church seems weak, becomes less and less listened to by society. Charities are cancelled. The mob rules. Godliness is abandoned. Kindness is forgotten. There are so many kept in bondage to sin. There's a dark cloud covering the minds of so many. In the world, it longs for deliverance but it looks anywhere except to the one who has the power to truly deliver. Now Mark records the story for us in the Bible, and he's trying to build his case for why Jesus truly is the Messiah, why he is the Son of God. He is the delivering deity. So on his way over to the lake, As he crossed the lake, Jesus, he spoke to the wind and the waves. If you look back in chapter four, and he just told them to be still and they listened to him. He's already forgiven and healed a man who couldn't walk. After our story, he's going to raise a girl from the dead. He's going to cure an illness that all the doctors in the world couldn't heal. He's going to go on to feed hundreds and thousands of people with just one boy's lunch. You see, the power of Jesus. Is unparalleled. And and the point is simple. He did these things, and and Mark records them for us so that we would know that he truly is the Son of God. Now, the demons, they already know this. Their first words to Jesus are, what do you want, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He said that they know the true power that is standing before them. And, And if you look through the whole of Mark's Gospel, it's really interesting to see how he's framed it the very opening verse of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. It tells us that this book is the beginning of the good news about Jesus and the Messiah, the Son of God. That's his point, that we would see that this is the Son of God, that God has revealed himself through Jesus. And six times, if you go through the whole book, a statement is made that Jesus is the Son of God. But only one of those times it comes from a human. And that's not to the very end of the book by the Roman centurion. The rest of them, well, twice it comes from God himself. as He speaks from the heavens. This is my son. Listen to him. Jesus himself says it to the high priests at his trial. And the last two times when someone says that Jesus is the son of God, who says it? Well, it's the demons. In our story, one earlier as well. You see, they know the power of God. They know that this truly is the Son of God, God in the flesh. He's no ordinary man. He is God come to meet with us here on the earth. If you've ever heard someone say, if only God would, would show himself to me, then I'd believe. I've heard that many times before. Well, God has shown himself to people on this earth. And in this book and in the Bible that we can read, this is the record we have of those people who saw him. They were real people who encountered the real Jesus, God in the flesh. And their lives, they were transformed by him in spectacular ways. And you see, God has walked on this earth and he's proven it to all who would believe in him, that there is no one greater. There is no one more powerful than him. The man in our story, well, after his encounter with Jesus, what does he do? After he is delivered from the legion of demons, in verse 15 it says he's left sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. He wasn't running around like a wild creature. He wasn't naked or dehumanized. His mind has been healed. He could speak and think clearly. What a transformation! So much so that he actually begs Jesus to be able to go with him in verse 18. It's ironic, I think. You see, the demons beg Jesus. They didn't want to leave the area, but now the right man, the man in his right mind, restored, he does want to leave the area. He wants to go with Jesus, to be with him. But Jesus has another job for him instead. Now, like our vision verse for for the year, do you remember this from Acts 4.2? As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Well, so Jesus has called his very first evangelist, actually. Verse 19, he says to this man, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And so he does. He travels around the 10 cities of the Decapolis, it's a very Roman area, and he tells everyone he meets how Jesus has rescued him. They're all amazed, it says, at this man's story. But the people of the Garrisones, well, they weren't. Remember how I asked at the start, who you'd most like to see leave the area? Well, for these folk, the people of the Gerasenes, they are terrified, not of the once demon-possessed man, but of Jesus. They plead with him to leave their area. He's the one they want to go. That's a strange response, isn't it? It seems no one shows any anger over the pigs being drowned. doesn't record it, at least. And sadly, no one seems any shows any joy over the demoniac being delivered. Instead, the people they show fear. Verse 15 it says, they're afraid. Why? Well, I think it's because they know that a spiritual and supernatural power far greater than anything that I've ever experienced, and they've seen some pretty powerful things. They know that something far greater is standing before them. It's this. Trauma of holiness that appears often through the Bible. Now, whenever someone finds themselves in the very presence of God, are terrified. In the previous chapter, the disciples they were terrified by Jesus's power as he calmed the storm. Or when Peter was first called, he sees the power of God from his fishing boat, and he says to Jesus, "Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man." Or an old story in the Bible, in Judges, when Samson's parents, they are visited by an angel of the Lord, which is probably a a pre-incarnate Jesus. And they say, we are doomed to die, for we have seen God. It seems that whenever someone is in the presence of God or or witnesses his great power, they're terrified. Seeing his holiness, it it puts a spotlight on, on our sin and it's like hanging your nice white sheets or what you think are nice white sheets out on the line. And then you see something that's really white next to it. And they just look dull and stained in comparison. It's like when we see the very presence or experience the very presence of God, the right response is just to fall on your face in humility or even fear or even shame. Who is this man and who am I that I could stand before him? Have you ever been terrified? the power and the holiness of jesus see this neighborhood they would rather live with a terrifying or once terrifying demoniac than the one who has power over demons i don't think it's a bad thing to truly glimpse the power and holiness of god and to be afraid see we too often think that god is is tame and he's all meek and mild just nice. We forget the Bible says he is a jealous God. He is holy. He is pure. He is a consuming fire, it says. And he cannot tolerate anything unclean. And so to be in his presence is to be aware of our broken hearts, you know, our lustful thoughts, our pride, our greed, our arrogance, our sin, to realize just how truly offensive we are. To the majesty and beauty of the almighty son of God. The God who made you, the creator of everything. The one who knows your deepest secrets. He knows your most shameful acts, your worst thoughts. So to be in his presence would be terrifying if there was no hope of deliverance. But there is. There is. There is. The delivering power of deity and he's shown it in our story by freeing this man from the power of the devil and for each of us too who put their faith in in the power of god well there is deliverance for anyone who would believe colossians chapter 2 it says that when you were dead in your sins god made you alive with christ he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's the true delivering power of deity. And And I pray that each of us here listening tonight would know that power and experience it even if it means falling on your face in fear before him. He is a good God who's come to deliver us from the power of sin and darkness. And I pray that you would know that yourself. See, the Son of God, he has come into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. Let me pray. Almighty God, we are humbled as we open your word We see your power at work, power over demons, over the most powerful and often destructive forces in the world. At your mere presence, they beg for mercy. And with a word, you send them away. And Lord, far greater things you have done too. Lord, you went to the cross to take our shame, our guilt, our wrong, doing everything that is offensive to you. And you took it, the Lord Jesus took it upon himself. And he bore the wrath. He bore the punishment that we deserve. And we can be delivered because of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that every person listening here tonight would know that delivering power in their own lives. That they would know freedom from fear, from guilt, from shame, from every sin and stain in our life. That we would repent and come before you and be washed clean by the Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord, that there is hope in this world. That the darkness is great. Lord, you are greater still. And you have come and you are coming to restore all things to yourself. So, Father, thank you for the reminders we have in your word tonight. Please speak to us all. Challenge each of us personally to respond rightly to your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.